Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is July the 13th, 2013. Actually, it's July the 10th, 2013, and this is episode 1165. You have to forgive me. I've recorded three introductions uh, about five minutes apart from each other, so I'm running things a little bit together because, of course... This is the week that I am in the wilds of Montana with Dave Jackie's group designing that uh, that first uh, ever in the state of Montana, second ever as far as I know in the United States public food forest. And uh, hopefully I'm learning a lot there that I can share with you guys when I get back. Uh, anyway, while I'm gone, I did set up three uh, great interviews for you guys this week. This will be the last one of the week, though there will be a couple of blog posts that will come out. Uh, tomorrow and the next day, suggesting an episode for you to listen to. And remember, if you don't have an episode for a day, because I'm off once in a while, and if you don't like an episode I've suggested, there is a uh, feature on the survivalpodcast.com. If you go to the survivalpodcast.com, and if you look down, you'll see in the center column, it'll say connect with TSP. It'll say subscribe on iTunes, my LinkedIn, stuff on Empire Avenue, Facebook, Zello, Twitter, all that good stuff. Just under that section, right before the gear shop and the Facebook icons and stuff like that, you'll see listen to a random episode. If you click that, it'll just pull a random post off the blog, and 99 times out of 100, that'll be an episode. And if you don't like that episode, click it again. Or if you get a blog post instead of an episode, click it again, and you'll find all kinds of cool episodes from the past. That's what you can do when I'm gone. But uh, you don't have to worry about that today. There is an episode today with one of my favorite people on planet Earth, Marjorie Wildcraft. We're going to talk about using 100% of all resources from slaughtered livestock today. Before I bring her on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day, number one today, KnifeKits.com. Hey, if you want to learn how to build knives and you're not sure where to start, KnifeKits.com is where to start. If you want basically a knife, the blade is there, you got to sharpen it, but it's there, it's shaped, it's ready to go. You want to put your own handle material on, final fit and finish, select your own stuff, your own bolsters, your own pins, and you want it to be easy. And if you think even that's a bit much, you need a book or a DVD to go with it, or you need to talk to somebody and get some help, they've got that for you in a kit form. If you're a master bladesmith and you want raw materials to forge your own blades and make exotic handles, you can get anything from buffalo, horn, to mammoth tusk, to Damascus steel, you name it, you can find it at knifekits.com. If you're somewhere in the middle, they can help you out too. From the novice to the expert and everybody in, the, in between, knifekits.com is your source for knife-making equipment and information. Also, if you've been considering starting to make Kydex sheets, whether for a knife, gun, or anything else, they have kits for that as well. Check them out at knifekits.com. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. You know, I think sometimes when I tell people I've been reading and listening or reading Backwoods Home Magazine since 1993, since I got out of the Army, and uh, that the people over there to me are just kind of awesome folks that I've, you know, can't believe I'm working with today. People think maybe that's a little bit of an embellishment. It's not, folks. I got out of the Army in 93. I left my small hometown in Pennsylvania, and I came to the big city of Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex area in Texas. I actually lived in a place called Louisville, just north of Dallas and Carrollton. And uh, I knew it was what I needed to do at the time. I needed a career. I needed an employment. I needed money. I needed a new start. And uh, that was fine. But I also knew that what I really wanted was to live, you know, the rural life again. That I wanted what I had as a child that I just couldn't give myself right then. And uh, 
I found Backwoods Home Magazine at a bookstore that I used to walk to because uh, I was dead broke to save money on gas. I'd walk up the, to the mall that had a Barnes & Noble in it, and I found Backwoods Home Magazine there. And they were kind of the beginning of my walk back, my walk back to where I am today, homesteading, self-reliance, self-sufficiency. And one of the gateways that brought me from the world of being a conservative Republican to the world of being, who was miserable, by the way, to being a happy libertarian. Check them out today at BackwoodsHome.com. Remember, Backwoods Home Knife Kits and many of our sponsors and over 30 different individual vendors offer discounts to members of our support brigade. If you need anything in the self-reliance, self-sufficiency world, if you want to become a subscriber to Backwoods Home, get stuff from KnifeKits.com, etc., and you're a member of the Support Brigade, make sure you click on, uh, the, or log into your members area first. Click on the benefits section and check to see if there's a discount either from who you're already going to order from or for an item you're looking for. That membership does pay for itself, but only if you use it, which is a great segue into that. If you are not yet a member of the Members Support Brigade, I have to ask you why. Now, for those of you who like live in Japan or something and we don't have a lot of international support vendors, I understand why, you know, maybe because you don't want to. That <laughs> makes sense. But if you're buying stuff in the self-sufficiency, self-reliance realm, from gardening to guns to tactical to practical and everything in between, if you're buying a little bit here and there every year, this membership pays for itself. That's why I'd ask why you're not a member yet. You also can support the show at 18.3 cents an episode. To learn more, go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on the Members Brigade banner or Members at the top of the site. Remember, existing members, if you need to log in, there's a place on that page for you to log in at. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, or prior service, including first responders like paramedics, EMTs, and uh, firefighters. All you guys qualify for a service discount. To get that, before you join, not after, before you join, send me an email with service discount in the subject line. Uh, and in the body of the email, tell me who you are and what you're doing, or who you are and what you did of your prior service. Don't be real super detailed. Two or three sentences is plenty to let me know your background and why you qualify for the service discount. I'll then respond with the information you need to get the discount, which is really that gone good. With that wrapped up, it is my great fortune to welcome back again one of my favorite people on planet Earth, Marjorie Wildcraft. Hey, Marjorie, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. All right, Jack. Thanks for having me on. Hey, when Dorothy said you wanted to come back on, I'm like, I'll always have Marjorie on what she want to talk about this time. And you came up with a great topic. Basically, how do we get the most out of a dead thing? Yeah. Once we've killed something, uh, whether we've hunted for it, um, whether we've slaughtered it in our backyard after raising it, or whether we've driven over it with a car or Bubba hit with a pickup truck, one way or another, we've got this, this dead thing in front of us, and we need to get the most... Uh, we can get out of it, right? Right, and the whole reason for raising our own food is there is so much more that you can get out of it from the stuff they don't give you in the grocery store that you actually want. You know, my grandmother used to swear to God you couldn't make chicken soup for real without a foot. I I believe that. Yeah, there's a there's some some uh, gosh something in the skin or in the tendons there. I believe she she didn't even like to eat them, but two feet went in the pot when you were making the chicken broth. Like and, and she she was convinced that like the butcher was screwing us over, yeah. and stealing the feet. You know, and it's like Grandma, I'm sure he'll give you the foot if you ask for it. And she no, he won't. You know, but there there is something to the concept that a lot of what's tossed out today has a lot of value. So you have a list, kind of a, a list in order, and we'll go through, and I'll just kind of go to each one on your list, and you can tell us about it. The first one's the one everybody thinks of. 
I mean, if we kill a chicken, we get meat. If we kill a cow, we get beef. If we shoot a deer, we get venison. So we start out with meat, right? Right, absolutely. And and here, here, let's talk about the meat you're raising yourself. Or even if you're wildcrafting, it's probably going to be better than meat from the supermarket. But And I did this interview with a, a doctor, a biochemist recently, and he was telling me that if you eliminate the commercial meat, from your diet, you'll reduce your toxicity level but from eating by 80%. And that's because, you know, they're feeding the cows the, the corn in the feedlot. Well, the animals are toxin accumulators, and the higher up the food chain you go, the more toxins that accumulate, and the chickens and the pork and everything. So any pesticides that was on that feed, you know, what does it take, uh, eight, eight pounds of feed to make one pound of beef? Well, there's like eight times the amount of toxins in the corn that's now in the meat that you're eating. So it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so raising your own meat just to reduce the toxicity level. So let's not diss the meat. I mean, the meat's really more important than you might think. So the and, and all the cuts, you know, we're familiar with the legs and the breasts and the back strap. And most people are pretty familiar with that. But the whole the whole point that just getting quality meat in the first place is vitally important. That's one of the reasons you should be growing your own. Yeah, I mean, I want to ask you some of your thoughts on this. I have my opinion, but I, I want yours. Um, there is a lot of anti-meat propaganda out there. Uh-huh. And then there's some pretty good, I wouldn't call it empirical, but I would say observational evidence by some people that move to a vegetarian lifestyle that a lot of health problems, I think some come up later, but initially some go away. Do you think maybe that's not so much about not eating meat, but if they're not eating meat, they're not eating this meat with all this toxin-laden crap in it? I, I think that's the thing, is becoming a vegetarian means you're staying away from the commercial meat supply, and I think overall that's a much healthier choice. But like you, I also agree. I, I was, I've been a vegetarian off and on, and I actually I, I've been doing a lot of research in this, and I would love to hear the dissenting arguments, but there really aren't any indigenous peoples that were ever really purely vegetarian th mm -mm. that I can tell. And I, th no. I don't think a vegetarian diet is, is, is ultimately a healthy diet. And given the, 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 the state of the commercial meat supply, it's a much healthier diet <laughs> than eating meat, right? You know? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I don't want to skip ahead down your list. Because uh, we'll we'll wait till we get there to talk about broth and, and and stocks, but there was a comedian I don't remember who it was, and he was talking about how his one friend had become vegetarian, and was telling him how he should do it too. And then they went to have lunch somewhere, and they were driving in the car together. And comedians are over the top all the time, of course. But he's like, he says, we're going back, and my friend's like, ah, I don't feel good. I don't feel right. I think there was maybe some beef broth in that in that soup, and it wasn't. And he's like, if something, if you get taken out because you ate beef broth, whatever you're doing is not right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, you know, I've got a real quick story on you on that toxicity thing. Mm -hmm. so I'm, I grew up in South Florida, still got family. We go back, and whenever we do, I try to hit, you know, the Everglades or the different national parks and stuff. And talking to the wildlife biologists there, one of my favorite animals on the whole planet is the Florida panther. And I'm checking in and saying, how's the Florida panther doing? And they're saying, you know, in South Florida, where the Florida panther is mostly living off of the key deer, which mostly live off the browse in the Everglades, which is, is pretty clean, more so than you would think, they're doing fairly well. The deer, uh, the, the Florida panther that are living up in North Florida, where they're mostly eating raccoons, 
that are eating garbage or they're eating fish and the fish are accumulating all kinds of heavy metals, well, those Florida panthers are dying of really strange diseases and they're not doing well at all and they're having a hard time reproducing and there's, you know, there's all kinds of strange things going on. And it's clearly toxic accumulation as you go up through the food chain. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that's been maligned, and it's the next thing on your list, is fat. Yeah. The reason that fat's been maligned with with um, production meat, mass market meat, because you mentioned bioaccumulation. Well, where do animals, especially mammals, bioaccumulate the most in their fat tissue? So fat's actually a wonderful thing, but fat from a CAFO-raised beef cow, maybe not so much. Or fat from hydrogenated oils. You know, oh, yeah. They made yeah. they made those oils. The, the problem was, is oil doesn't last very long. And I think it was during World War II, sailors being on those ships for months and months at a time, and they didn't have any oils, and they were trying to find a way to make oils not go rancid. And they found that you know pumping this hydrogen into it or whatever process it is, it keeps it from going rancid. The, the fact is, though, it makes it completely inedible. <laughs> so uh, you know, it makes it basically a toxic ingredient for a human diet but yeah fat has really been maligned and fat and from healthy fat uh you know from animals that you raise or or maybe from uh you know the milk you know the cream and butter type products or uh you know even uh, the sunflower seeds or peanuts or things that you grow yourself where you're making fats and fats are one of the more difficult things to grow when you want to become self-reliant and the you know the the fat of the land is is a is a saying that we have and what it speaks to is that the land has to be pretty fertile in order to really grow fat I don't know if you remember here, uh, well, the, Texas, I mean, we're, we're always in a drought intermittent by floods, but that really bad four-year drought that we just finished up about a year ago, um, right in the middle of that, I just got this insane idea I was going to make pemmican, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this is so good, and I had all this dried beef, and I had some berries, and um I said I talked to the to the guy we we buy cattle from and I said I, I want the fat and I'd especially love to get the cavity fat and he looked at me and he said Marjorie darling there ain't no fat on any cows in Texas right now <laughs> 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 we can't keep these damn things alive he says <laughs> we ain't got no fat <laughs> so well it's interesting though because we've been told fat's bad and if we can't keep the fat on the cow the cow falls over that 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 says something right there doesn't it. Part of that is because it's much, much easier to grow grains and have them be completely mechanized. So, you know, and then the big food businesses are all about grains and then they get control of our government and then they push this whole grain-based diet. Uh, and, you know, like I said, high-quality fat is actually something that's fairly difficult. You know, it's work it, uh, to, to grow. It's really... Um, you know, it's a rich and delicious and useful calorie that's uh, more challenging to obtain than 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 a carbohydrate. So, uh, but yeah, fats are are so important, and there's there's lots of uh, in, you know, studies of indigenous people that focus like that was a big significant part of their diet when they could get when they could get it. I mean, I was reading a um, a biography. I forget of which Sioux. You know, the Sioux. There's a lot of biographies of the Sioux Indians. Man, it's like the autobiographers caught up with them before they. 
got too civilized, but uh, they were talking about this one group was like they said, forget this, you know, reservation thing, and they decided they were going to go up into Canada and try and make it there. And unfortunately, they were doing this like in the fall, which is a really bad time to go up into Canada and try and make it through the winter with your tribe. And it wasn't going too well. They're up in Canada. It's, you know, freezing, really hard winter. Uh, their elders and children are, are, you know, starvation. And so some of the Braves are going out and they, they, they see a buffalo and they go, they go kill this buffalo and they're just starting to open it up. And they've got they've got the organs and they've got some meat and there's the fat you know they got the buffalo and off in the distance they see some scouts from the tribe that lives there and they know that those guys are going to kill them because they're basically stealing the food from the people that felt that this was their territory so they've only got a couple of seconds and they're going to grab something and run. What do you think they grabbed? What was most important to them? Was it the organ meat or was it the meat or was it the fat? I'd say it'd probably be fat and organ. I mean, it, that's it, that's right. It was the fat. They grabbed that fat because that's got the densest caloric, you know. And they, <laughs> they were grabbing that and running. So it's uh, you know that's it's a really valuable, valuable, valuable commodity. But absolutely, you don't want to eat anything from the commercial food supply because that's where the, all the toxins are stored. So in fact, you want to cut that off if you're going to eat any of the commercial meat at all. You definitely want to discard the fat. Yeah. So. How do we make best use of the fat that's in the animals that we're raising ourselves? I mean, some of it is in the meat and all, but a lot of the fat is generally not marbled the way that, let's say, beef from a grain-fed cow is. How do we how do we get access to that fat? Well, for like say rabbits or chickens, you'll if you raise them and you don't like like you're talking about, you're finishing off some of your chickens now. You're putting them in a cage at the end, and you're mostly just feeding them and letting them be more. Um, sedentary right <laughs> and hopefully gaining accumulating some fat so you'd 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 want to when you're butchering that just collect those peaches and maybe put them in the freezer and use them when you need them or if you're doing a pig or something or a cow you gather that fat and then you're going to render it down which is a process where you take say for example if you're doing with a pig or a cow you get a big big um um stew pot a stock pot and you put some water in there and you put all that fat in there and then you just let it simmer for a long time and what you're going to want to do is do this outside because you will get run out of the house (laughs) if you try to render fat in the house my family has banned me from ever doing that again it does stink um but what happens is you drive the water out of the fat and you end up in the case of pigs you end up with lard and in the case of beef you end up with tallow which is just basically a solid fat and then you store that in tubs you can freeze it and get a, a longer life shelf life out of it and then you're going to use that just like you use butter or any other type of cooking oil you'll get a get a spoonful of it or a chunk of it and use it in the bottom of the pan for your your pancakes and there are, there are women that do baking and swear you will never get you know those really flaky biscuits without really good lard or tallow uh it's it's um you know of course people also use use that for making soap and other things now deer fat i have never met any have you ever tried eating deer fat i've never met anybody that liked that <laughs> no but when you're talking about rendering tallow that was something we always did was render the tallow from a deer and if you want something good make some good old fashioned hush puppies from some heirloom uh, ground cornmeal 
uh, fried in deer tallow. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, my God. A deer tallow rendered out and used to cook with is a totally different experience than deer fat. Because I've made um, a lot of jerky and biltong in my life. And when you bite into a piece of jerky or biltong from a deer and there is some fat on it, it's kind of like eating a nasty piece of candle wax. But rendered out, it's a totally different thing. And it has a lot of other uses as well, like um, you know, finishing wood and protecting the buttstock of a rifle and other things like that. Yeah. yeah. And it's pretty clean smelling when you burn it, so it it's pretty good as a fuel. Another real quick thing, since we're on the topic of fat, and a lot of my diet is rabbits, and I recommend rabbits to a lot of people just because... But there's no fat in rabbit. If you eat too many of them, you're going to die. Well, you know, I was just going (laughs) to... Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're going to talk about rabbit poisoning, right? You know, people can't live on rabbits forever. And that's because when people went up and they're living on a, you know, a starvation diet or a survival diet up in the north and all they're eating is rabbits and they're eating wild rabbits, the wild rabbits in the winter are not going to have much fat on them and people rabbit poisoning is because they're eating so much protein and not enough fat i guess that just damages it's not even too much protein i thought it was it's not enough fat if you're starving in the mountains eating a rabbit you're also eating a rabbit that's doing what (laughs) starving he's starving too of course you're gonna have a problem it it is the it's the fat the thing is i think it's overloads the kidneys too much when you have too much protein and not enough fat not enough fat to go with it exactly but but my rabbits raised in cages or in tractors and oh my god we've got this i've got this experiment going now with these free-range bunnies it's like the friggin' teletubbies around here (laughs) 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 this is hilarious i just cracking up all the time these little bunnies hopping around it's working out now i was a little worried we lost a lot in the beginning <laughs> but anyway you know you get you get a surprising amount of fat off of rabbits that are you know have a more sedentary lifestyle <laughs> well and they're not constantly being chased by a coyote and they're 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 fed as much as they'll take and 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 what have you and i can tell you that like i did a lot of hunting especially in my teens for small game and you shoot a squirrel or a rabbit up on the mountain that's living on acorns and browse, yeah, there's like no fat. You shoot a rabbit in the farmlands or a squirrel that's been raiding corn bins, Yeah. guess what? There's fat. So it's all about the diet the animal has, and is the animal getting sufficient calories to survive or sufficient calories to thrive? Exactly, yeah. So, you know, growing your own, you're going to get a lot more fat out of them. And it's it's a good thing, as we were saying. Fat is uh, you're totally right. It's a misaligned nutrient. <laughs> Absolutely. So moving on from there, the next thing on your list is organ meat. Yes. And I wish I liked more organ meats because I'm not generally a fan of things like liver. And the only way I've been able to make organ meats part of my diet is like when I make my own sausage, incorporating it in there. That's because I don't care for the taste very much. And about the only organ I really love to eat isn't really an organ. We call it an organ, but mechanically it's not really an organ. It's the heart. Yeah, the heart. The heart is muscle. The heart is right? the easiest one to start eating. Kidneys and liver. and I know it's good for me, but I don't like the texture. I don't like the taste. I, I know, and you're right. The easiest way to deal with that is to grind it up and put it in meatloaf or something else, you know. <laughs> yeah. Or bread it really heavily and fry it. 
bread it heavily, slice it thin, and fry it crisp. Yeah, right, to where you got like 90% bread. <laughs> my, my uncle had a friend that was like a really amazing cook. And he said, if that boy sliced and breaded a turd and, and deep fried it, you'd probably want to eat it. And I don't know about that, but it does apply to things like he would do deer liver. Mm-hmm. And he, he did this with a knife. And he would slice the damn thing almost as thin as if you put it on one of them, uh, you know, them things like they use in a deli. Uh-huh. I don't know how this guy could, but this guy was an artist with a knife. And he would roll that in like corn flour, like a mixture of corn flour and wheat flour. Uh-huh. And he would deep fry that till it was crisp like a potato chip. That was pretty good. Yeah. But you were eating fried. Come on, you're eating fried corn and wheat. You're not really eating yeah, the liver. That, that's true. You know, <laughs> when I was growing up, we ate we ate liver. It was like it seemed like once a month or once a week, and it was awful. You know, I'm a kid, right? Liver and onions. Yeah. But you know, as, as an adult, I have. And any time you want to start training yourself to like something you don't like is use hunger. You know, like don't eat oh. for a day and then eat some <laughs> liver. And it works. It does. I have total. I have totally trained myself to where I can eat raw liver, and I, I mostly enjoy it. So uh, I can't eat too much, but um, it's just so good. And I'm, I'm doing more. We're going to have another show on liver sometime. I've been doing so much research on, on this phenomenal uh liver do any kind of google search on the top most nutritious thing you can eat and it's liver and you know what stuns me is you go like i go look at the shops where they're selling all the grass-fed beef and all that and yeah. it'll be like what it, the current price for it now is like six to eight dollars a pound for grass-fed hamburger right now yeah the liver will be four or five dollars a pound yeah and it's much more nutritious for you uh, you know, it's just incredible. But, you know, again, you're going to want to make sure it's a grass-finished beef. God, there's all these terms you have to go into, isn't it? And ridiculous. But you want to yeah. make sure that animal was eating well. But I think the the other reason for raising your own animals is actually getting to eat the organ meats because those are so deeply nutritious for you. That is the, you know, that the, the livers and the kidneys... That's that's where the power punch. See, I just don't really tend to like it, and I'm not. It's not like a grossed out thing or something because yeah. I like like I've got a lot of friends from Britain and Scotland and stuff like that, and like the white pudding and the the black pudding, which is basically made with blood. That stuff's good. So I, I think what did it for me is my grandmother was big on kidney pie, uh, yeah. and I just oh, I don't know, there. man. You know, hunger. Yeah, eventually you'd eat it, but. You know, one but, thing I found I really like that you might try, but I haven't, I've had a hard time getting them is the sweetbreads, they call them. And I'm not totally uh-huh. sure what those are, the thyromus or something like that. I don't know what they yeah. are, but they're pretty good. I found them to be pretty tasty. Really hard to come by, though. So, Yeah, I, I, I've seen that on uh, that Andrew Zimmerman show. Was oh, that that guy that eats all the strange stuff? Yeah, but he's gotten into eating stuff now that like a lot of the stuff he eats is like, oh, I'd eat that. I'd eat that. You know, yeah. some of the stuff he was eating in the early days is like, yeah, I don't know. Like, we're here to eat the butthole of a buffalo today. And you're like, yeah, you go ahead and do that. But, like, now he's doing a lot of things. I'm like, I don't even think it's bizarre. But I did see something about the sweetbreads, and that is from the thymus. I've never, never tried that. But I have found that when you're making sausage, let's say, um, like, one of my favorite things to do around here, and this is why I don't raise pigs, is we have, like, 16 million feral hogs in the state, is to go kill a couple of them. And you get a lot of meat out of the hogs that's not really worth turning into a roast or a chop or something. And you end up with a couple of them. Maybe you grind, you know, 20, 25 pounds total of, of ground pork. 
Well, you throw a, a li- you grind a liver into that and add that to sausage, and I actually think it makes the sausage better. Uh, and of course, the, the the folks from Louisiana, boudin, you know, liver and rice sauces, that stuff's good too. So to me, I've got to do something like that with it, but I definitely don't want to discard it. And if I am going to not use a, a, a an organ meat, and I know you do this too, maybe you just don't have time for it. It's not something you care for. The dogs, yeah. Yeah, if they are they, good to go. They, they love it. And, it, yeah, if there's some that, you know, I mean, liver goes bad pretty quickly. And if there's one that's, you know, when I'm butchering, that's the first thing I look at when I open up an animal. Even if it's a healthy animal I've raised myself, I always look at the liver of the animal and make sure that it's not discolored or there's anything strange going on with it. And that's how you can really, that's the first thing you should learn in order to get the general health of the animal. And if that looks at all of concern to me or I'm just grossed out that day or whatever, yeah, I've got two hungry dogs that <laughs> they, They'll take, care they of take care of that, you know. <laughs> and I think a lot of people insist, like, dogs need to have food cooked for them. And, and I'll admit it, there's times, especially when I had, like, my old dog and he was dying and I just needed to get him to eat, I'd cook for a dog. But in general, I ask these people, when, when canines are wild in the woods uh-huh. – who chops up carrots for them and cooks their food for them. And they generally look at you like, you know, you got a turnip growing out of your head or something because they never really thought about that before, uh, especially the vegans that want to feed a dog a vegan lifestyle. I just, That's a whole other conversation. Dog. But, yeah, I mean, so feeding the leftovers to the dogs, I mean, I'm, I I figure as many pullets as we have this year, when they start laying, I'll probably be feeding the dogs a few eggs uh, uh, I, I, I do well. that. The arrangement I have with my dogs, if they find the eggs on the ground, they can eat them. Okay. But the ones that are up in the nests are mine, and we, we, I got we've we been working that out for quite a while. It works, yeah. <laughs> so we we have the organ meat, and then we move on to a lot of us do things with, with poultry. I've got geese. I know you do. And I've got um, – actually, when you were here, I didn't have my geese yet, did, no, did I? No, you didn't. I love geese. I've got eight Toulouse geese now. Oh, you, you, They're my favorite thing on the property. They're fun. They're I, I walk out there in the morning, they're so excited and so happy that I'm going to move them to a new place, and they're friendly, and they talk to me. But I've got geese, and, and, and the geese that we have now are pretty safe, um, but their offspring next year will, in a large part, be raised for, for, for cooking. Sure, sure. I've got chickens. I told you I've got, I won't go into it on the air, but I've got six Faomi cockerels that have now been separated from the uh, from the pullets because they're just basically raising hell there's too many of them and they're being finished on pasture so uh, i'll be harvesting poultry and everybody thinks of the meat and, and stuff we've talked about and chicken livers and stuff like that but another thing we get is feathers yeah 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 and that's a resource that people have kind of forgotten about right yeah and you know the thing is is i keep them and even if i'm not doing anything with them now i've got boxes of feathers that i've been collecting for years uh and the down you know, it, it takes a while to get enough down for a jacket, but just stuffing in a bag or a box. Uh, you know, if you're going to ever get into fletching your own arrows, I know we're probably not all ever going to do that, but we dream about it, don't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, or pill, pens and quills and, you know, even the kids with decorations. But um, we often find all kinds of things to do with feathers. Some people grind them up or put them into compost they they do they do compost really well but i think they're much useful just as feathers and uh, you know another really 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 you know it's a really important part of it i feel especially for that down uh for the feathers that's you know that seems to me like a really valuable commodity pillows jackets you know just comfort yeah absolutely um 
And you mentioned fertilizer as well in your notes. Right. That's when the people use the feathers for the fertilizers. They, they grind it up and, and, and make uh, compost them. Um, turns into a pretty good amount of nitrogen when they decompose, apparently. It's actually a pretty good broad-spectrum fertilizer. It's got some potassium and uh, phosphorus as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nowhere near as high nitrogen as blood. Right. Uh, yeah. Or, or yeah. even bone, but yeah. but uh, if you if you grind in, in compost feathers, it's a pretty. I think it's like a. I want to say it's like a four one one or something like that. Yeah, that's pretty. Which good. is pretty. I mean, compost is like a one 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 in general, so that's not bad. Yeah. Um, and then we've got with our our furry friends, uh, hides and furs. You hides and furs and skins, and um, you know. If it, I, I do, I tan deer hides, and I'm into making um, deer skins, and I've got enough now. I'm ready to make uh, some pants or a shirt or something, and I'm just, like, deathly afraid to cut it, right? <laughs> I just spent so much time making these because it's a process. I mean, that's a process to learn. But anybody could tan a deer hide, I mean, a, a rabbit hide. I mean, it's so simple, and it's so easy, and it's really pretty satisfying. Now, the, the rabbit hides, I found the hair tends to fall out of them pretty easily, um, so it's not. I don't think they're going to work too well as you know something that's going to get a lot of movement, like jackets or things like that. But, but hats it can work well, or blankets. Uh, one thing I want to do is they, there's this technique where you take the hide and you turn it into a big long strip by cutting it into a spiral, and then you get a bunch of these strips and you weave it together to make a blanket. And apparently you need like about 80 rabbit hides to make a four foot by six foot blanket. And I'm I'm trying to build up my store of hides to do that sometime. But doesn't that sound so fabulous and warm? <laughs> that sounds, yeah. Yeah. So um, skins, uh, so the deer skins, obviously. Sometimes, you know, if it's summertime and the skin's kind of, you know, the, 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 the hide's kind of ratty, I'll give it to the dogs. And, you know, the dogs eat the whole thing. And then... And then the hair will come out later. You don't have to worry about it. The dog's <laughs> digestive system will separate it for you. You know. Do you mean that when a dog kills a, 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 an animal in the woods, that it actually eats the hair, and nobody goes in and skins it for the dog? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wolves actually eat hair. They don't. They don't have a person come out and skin the elk uh, calf and and cook it for them and put carrots and peas with it. Isn't that something? Yeah. That's amazing. Now. That's amazing. People, you can make glues apparently out of the out of the hides. I haven't done that yet, but apparently you can make glues out of it. I think the glues would be easier out of the hooves uh, of say you know like the deer or the cattle. Um, but there's a whole other angle, and I haven't spent a lot there's of time. There's gelatin in the hooves too. You can make gelatin from regular gelatin's made from cow hooves. So I I can't see why you couldn't do it with a deer's hoof. Yeah, I don't see why not. But my favorite thing to do with a deer hoof, I'll just throw this out there, is you just chop it off and you dry it out, and then you give it to the dog. Aww. And the dog thinks you're God. They do. Right? They love because they, they sell cattle hooves uh-huh. for the dogs in the in the in the stores for like three bucks for a cow's hoof. Uh huh. You know, and like you can, and deer hunters like go out and buy the dog a cow hoof and throw the deer hoofs away. Um, that the other thing I've done is with the feral hogs is cut their ears off. And throw them. I do do this for them, but it's like I don't like cook for the dog. Really, it's like okay, so I'm smoking something, right? So I'll throw the ears on the smoker, and I smoke them till they're crisp. So because like a bag of pig ears from the pet store is like twelve bucks for like eight ears, 
right? Yeah. So you know you're cooking anyway, and you know that you know that way you 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 mitigate any concerns about trichinosis with pork, and um, they they seem to love those. So if I was raising my own uh, pigs. I try to eat a lot of things, but the tail and the ears I can probably let go to the dogs, and that's a real easy thing to do as well. You, you know that pet store thing? It just a friend of mine brought me this package from the pet store, and it was these like three or four little twigs from a peach tree. And I don't know, it was like a couple of dollars. And I said, "Really? Are you serious?" I said, "What's what this? Is it? It's a little package of like little peach tree twigs." And she said, this is a rabbit treat. And I said, you're kidding me. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, wow. So, you know, now all my peach tree trimmings and all the trimmings that you do in, like, February for all your fruit trees, I stack them up and keep them to the side to give them as treats to the rabbits. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, the pet stores are pretty funny with their markup, but, you know. (laughs) Oh, this has nothing to do with food, but I've got, just because you said that, i got to tell you the story. So one day we were in PetSmart or Petco, one or the other, and, you know, those like, Things they make for the cats that are like car- co- coated with carpet. Uh huh. Oh, to scratch, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the scratch things. And they're like a tree, and the cats can go up in them. They have all compartments and shelves and all. Yeah, and cats. So we're looking at <laughs> we're looking at one. It was like a hundred and twenty dollars. And I'm like, I could make this for like five bucks. And then the, the whoever received them had screwed up, and the receiving um, list, like the packing list that came from the wholesaler that they pay when they bring them in. Was inside one of them. Uh huh. <laughs> $14. They paid the person that made it and they were selling it for 120 Wow. Oh. And that says something about why Americans are out of money. <laughs> oh, man. Well, first of all, coming up with one of those things for your cat. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Let the cat outside. Yeah, I know there's trees out there for them. They can, they can do that out there. So we're talking about hides and furs. Uh, and then that leads to tanning, so that's one use for the brains, if we want to pull the brains out of the bean. That's right. The brains are used, and um, and uh, a friend of mine who's a professional brain tanner said, you know, I said, hey, is it true that there's enough brains to tan the hide? And he said, you, and you're going to laugh at this, he said, um, actually, the big bucks usually have smaller brains, <laughs> and there's not enough for a big buck, he said. The, really? the does have enough brains to tan their hides. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that, and the reason that is, is the brains have a lot of fat, and you need, you need some fats as a part of the, the final, uh, part of the tanning process. So that's why we use the brains. Uh, but the brains are also, um, edible and delicious, and scrambled brains with eggs is, uh, yeah, it's a pretty common dish around the world other than here. Uh, Do you worry at all with wild game in doing that with things like chronic wasting disease in deer, um, rabies in other animals being a potential risk? Yeah, I do with the wild game. I'm a, I'm a lot more cautious of what organs I'll eat from wild game. Also, just because like you think about it, the deer, they're mostly hitting everybody's deer feeder and eating GMO corn. So you Correct. know, <laughs> so. Correct. <laughs> I'm I'm a little more cautious about the the organs in in the wild animals. So, because um, I mean I grew up as a trapper, and we did a lot of fur bearing trapping. In fact, I bought my first car with a combination of salvaged copper and 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 tanned hides. Um, actually, just stretch and salted hides that I would take into the the the, the, the trading post and trade the hides for for money. And um, 
even the guys that did a lot of the brain tanning and stuff, basically a raccoon, he just didn't mess with the brains of a raccoon because they were considered a high risk for rabies. And yeah. that would be a, a place of potential uh, uh, dangers, messing around with a raccoon's brains. Um, deer, I didn't really worry about until recently, but because when I was a kid, there was no such thing as chronic wasting disease, which makes us wonder, why did it show up now? Um and then with cattle, we have, you know, mad cow, and that's all stuff that's in the spinal cord and the brain is where the risk is. Yeah. Do, do you, have you ever found a way to make raccoon palatable? I mean, we've, we've, I've. I just cook it. I like it. Really? You know, I've cooked yeah. it several times and, 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 uh, in different ways and served it to my family and none of us could ever quite, we just never could quite. My it. favorite thing to do with raccoon, and I do this with, we don't have them down here, but we had them in, in, in truckloads up in the Northeast, in groundhogs. And the same thing that people say is a greasiness to them uh-huh. and a toughness. I would put them in a pressure cooker for about 10 minutes on like 15 pounds. And that would cook some of the grease out of them, and it would tenderize them, but it wouldn't fully cook them. And then grill, just Finish in them pieces, yeah. and then grill them, like barbecue them after that. And that took care of the toughness, and it seemed to do some stuff with the grease. But, I mean, overall, I just was never offended by the taste of raccoon. Huh. Well, um, you know, next time I get a coon, I'll have to try that in the pressure try cooker. Try the pressure cooker. Ten minutes and 15 pounds, and don't think you need it yet. I mean, it's just a yeah, no, just, just a par cooking, you know. Yeah. Yeah. With ribs and, and other pork, like ribs especially, a lot of times our par, our par, par boil them for a bit just to kind yeah. of get the fat out of them. And, and, and that way you're not, like, it's not so greasy when you're eating them. And it, yeah, and that might you know that might work too. What started me with the pressure cooking of the raccoons was that I shot a lot of groundhogs. I mean, a lot of groundhogs. That was my way to get permission to hunt in Pennsylvania was to drive around with my buddies in the summer and talk to farmers and kill groundhogs for them. And when you're like, can I hunt dove or deer or rabbit or whatever here, they're like, come on in because you'd done something for them. Yeah. So after a while, you get to where you're killing these things and they're ugly and they're kind of a nuisance and. You know, you're not exactly in love with the concept of, of groundhogs as a creature anyway. You don't really mind killing them, but you also start looking at it like, this is a lot of meat when you start adding it up. I mean, a big groundhog will go 20 pounds, you know. Wow. And you start thinking, you start thinking well, I'm throwing all this away, you know. Yeah. And maybe there's some, So the first time I tried to cook one, I just basically skinned it down to, like, the ribs and just took, like, the, what would be the chops and the back legs and the rump. And I threw that on the grill, and it was not bad, but it was really tough. So my grandmother, who was just indulging my insanity, <laughs> who would never touch a groundhog, said, put him in a pressure cooker next time. It'll make him tender. And I'm like, all right. So uh, after pressure cooking the groundhog and then having to scrub the the pressure cooker as though that would contaminate it somehow if I didn't, um, I put him on the grill, and he was pretty good. So I started thinking, well, raccoons can be kind of tough and, and gamey. So I tried it with them, and that's pretty much what I would always do at this point with raccoon is to give it a little little blast of that pressure because not only does that cook some of the grease out of it, it tender. if you've ever pressure cooked any meat, it, even if you don't fully cook it, it tenderizes it. Yeah. So try that. I, I will. Thanks, Granny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How about bone broth? Now, bone broth is so important. And this is like, even when you're getting stuff from the, you know, like if you're buying your chickens from somebody and you're not getting the organ meats, definitely start making bone broths. And, and it's so simple. So with your chicken bones, 
any eggshells you might have left over, put them in a stock pot with some water, and just let it simmer. Most people say 12, 24 hours. Uh, put in like a tablespoon of vinegar or two in there, and it'll help you know, extract out the minerals more, and you're going to get this fantastic juice. You're going to separate the juice from all the stuff that's left, and you can go ahead and give all that stuff to your dogs. There's going to be some old meat and gristle and bones, and my dogs eat that stuff just fine, believe me. You don't have to worry about it splintering in their mouth or whatever. But then you've got this broth, and I would not recommend when you're making the bone broth to put any salt in it because you don't know how much it's going to boil down, and you don't really want to concentrate that salt. But now you've what you've done is you've extracted a lot of the minerals that were in that bone that you're going to need, so like calcium, and phosphorus, you know, all those all those strong strengthening uh, uh, nutrients that you need for healthy bones and joints. And then you add that to, to soups. You, that's what your soup stock is. That's what makes, and for years as a young woman, I was like, how, how did my mom make this soup? You know, my soup always tastes so watery. <laughs> you know, it always tastes so flat. And my mom's soup always had this rich flavor to it. Well, she always had a stock pot on the back of the stove going. She always had a stock pot going. You know, she always had something going on back there that she was tossing things into. Uh, so the, the, the bone broth is, is probably the, the easiest thing that somebody could get started with. And so I had a, uh, we were watching, you know, PBS had one of its specials going on and there's Julia Child for like days on end, every single Julia Child episode. And there I'm watching Julia and she's going, and today I wish I could do a good Julia Child imitation. We're going to make our bone broth. And she's puts her bones in there and she's (laughs) grabbing this cow hoof. This is a calf hoof, and she throws it in that stock awesome. pot. You know, she's throwing all this stuff in this stock pot, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> she said, "This is the basis for everything, and then the nutrition and everything." And it's it's a very well known thing in gourmet cooking. Uh, to to that's the way you make really and deeply nutritious food is deeply deeply tasty food. So the bone broth, when you get done with that bone broth and you've got the bones and the scraps left over, if you don't want to give it to your dogs, the other thing you can do is just start pulverizing it and there's still going to be some calcium and stuff and you can either put that in your compost or, you know, put that out in your garden in different areas. Um, I just was gone through a thing where I had blossom end rot, my tomatoes all, I had this whole crop just basically devastated and it turns out to be that the plant grows so fast and it doesn't have enough calcium that the end rots and it's a calcium deficiency. And a lot of people are saying eggshells, you know, crushed up bones, put that in the compost or put that in around the plants, you know, before you're planting to, to just to have that extra calcium there because that's what the tomatoes need. So calcium is such an important vit- uh, nutrient everywhere. And and the bone broth is you you'll be amazed. I I make I make chili for people, uh, and I'll I'll use a bone broth stock, and you can do that with beef bones, you know, fish bones, chicken bones, deer bones, any kind of bones. You can even mix them up. Uh, you know, generally I only have one type at a time, but you can you know just throw them all in there. Uh, but I'll often make a big pot of chili or something and make it with that bone broth and gas fed grass fed beef and. People will eat a bowl or two of that chili, and then they'll eat another bowl, or, and they'll just won't—they won't stop eating it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, yep. They're like, I think it's twofold. One, it does taste good, but two, your body knows when you're eating something high in nutrient, and especially if it's nutrient deprived. Yeah. It kicks in like 
well, keep eating this, man. I've been waiting this for for something like this for a while. And I and I like they're like I'm, I just I just gotta have. I'm like it's okay. I people do. Yeah, here's some more. Here's some more. I made a big pot. I knew you were. Coming. Well, and as a cook, you, you you want people to be that way when you cook food. You don't want people to be like that. Ah, I've had one. That's enough. You want to be. I got a broth idea for you. It might blow you away. Okay. Because uh, it's almost like free broth and free dog food at the same time. On a chicken, whether it's something you've raised yourself or bought free range, or even if you buy wings from you know good quality uh, provider of, of, of poultry, uh, you know pasture poultry or whatever, there's always that wing tip, and that wing tip is pretty useless as human food as it sits there by itself. Most people that eat a whole wing kind of just leave it sit there. And it's got a little bitty bone in it, and it's got some fat and some skin and some cartilage. Mm-hmm. Well, when I make chicken, I usually cut it off. And uh, if I make wings, I cut the wings into three sections, and I cut that one off, and I put it to the side. And I get a Ziploc bag, and I throw them in a Ziploc bag, mm-hmm. and I put them in the freezer. And then the next time I do it, I do it again until I get like about a half a gallon to a gallon of wingtips. And then I put them all into water with garlic and celery and onion and salt, and I make broth. Mm-hmm. It's like free broth. Yeah. Because it was a waste part of the chicken. Yeah. Then... I take the wing tips that are left over with little bits of carrot and stuff in them that are there, which is really great nutrition, and the dogs get that. Uh-huh. And then I'm a hero to the dogs for like a day. After oh, yeah. <laughs> now, here's where it gets even better. So the last time I did it, it was like 100 degrees out. The sun's blazing down. I just threw them all in an enameled pot and threw them in the sun oven. Uh-huh. So now it's free broth, free, free dog food, and no energy input. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's we can start getting creative with some of the waste and maybe just not using it right away and putting it aside until we accumulate it, and we can take a waste product and turn it into a, a, a valuable. So what I'll do then is I take the the broth and I cook it down to about half, so it's like now it's a stock, and then I freeze those in ice cube trays, throw them in a Ziploc bag, and throw them in the freezer, and then when you need stock to cook with, you just reach in and grab a couple cubes of chicken stock, pitch it in to cook with. <laughs> You know that's a great idea doing it in the in in ice cubes and making them that way. That's that's really a good idea. I usually pour them into mason jars and then and then freeze them and I use a quarter at a time pretty much. Yeah. yeah. If you cook it down really concentrated to like a really concentrated stock, right? Then you can use two or three and you you know you're good. You're good to yeah. go. Yeah. That way it takes up less space. Now and definitely the chicken feet can go in there also, but. Now I have I've always just given the chicken heads to the dogs, and prior to this our conversation, I was wondering why. I bet you could just throw that in there. <laughs> oh well, I don't there's know. Brains in there, but yeah, there's brain. I haven't. You ever, like brains? I'm not a brain person. Well, you know what? The dogs can just continue to get that. Eat heads. The, the other thing is the intestines. I I you know now I've read a lot of native people like there used to be contests where two men there'd be the intestines between them, and they would eat and eat and see who could get to the middle first. Um, this is not the kind of thing I'm I'm engaging in yet. Okay. <laughs> but apparently, you know, there's just tons of probiotics inside the the intestine. There. I mean, if you think about it, that's what your intestine is basically—a bunch of bacteria digesting stuff for you. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential there. Why don't we let one of the listeners <laughs> try that? <laughs> I don't know, and get a report back to us. Right? I mean, I've always been of the you know you you clean them out. And then yeah. use them like as a sausage case. As a casing, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah now, Eating them non-cleaned out, I no. No, and I'm then of course that. you know uh, the the pig and the cow. Um, I guess is it called tripe or? But you know you now I, I have done that. And you cook them and you got to cook them down forever to make them somewhat even chewable. 
um, uh, what do they call that? Oh gosh, I can't try to remember. Down in the deep south, at eating eating the um, chitlins. Chitlins, thank you. Yeah, chitlins. Now I have to say, pork chitlin, chitlins, when they're made well by somebody who knows what they're doing, they actually taste pretty good. But I, I, um, yeah, I haven't quite not a fan. I haven't quite gotten to that. Yeah. I'm putting the people that can make it taste good up there with the guy that can make the fried turd taste good. I mean, there's I people know. that can do it, but I'm probably not going to be trying. Oh, man, some of them women in North Florida. Woo, that soul food. Oh, it was yeah. so good. Yeah, there's people that can do it, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Certain parts of the animal, I just think the dog needs to eat, too. Well, the dog does need to eat. He's got a job, man. I've got a hundred and... 50-pound German Shepherd, i got to keep weight on so he can be head of security around here. So i got to feed him, too. Yep. So um, you mentioned scurvy earlier, and you bet on here the adrenal glands. Yeah. Um, there is a wonderful book called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration that was written by Dr. Weston Price. And I'll give mm-hmm. you a quick story. I'm sure you've talked about him, but he went on this amazing adventure during the 1930s. He spent about a decade of his life visiting at least 17 different indigenous cultures that were fairly isolated from civilization, and they were still eating their indigenous foods. And he went there and he did all these, he even took samples of the foods and measured it for nutrients. And and these people were unbelievably healthy. And uh, he did lots of tests and looked at their teeth. And, you know, he documented this really, really well. But anyway, one of the indigenous groups he went up to was up near the Arctic, um, uh, the Inuit. I'm not exactly certain which tribe. And he's up there and he's looking around. He's like, you know, they only got like green stuff growing for maybe a month or two a year up here. Where are they getting their vitamin C? And so he manages to get in with the head medicine man and he's talking to him and he has to go through some stuff with the chieftain because, you know, he's a white dude, but they they figure he's all right and and then they get clearance. And he's basically saying, you know, have you ever heard of this disease, scurvy? And they said, yeah, we've, we've heard about that disease. We know about that. And he says, do the Indians ever get it? And he said, the Indians could get it, but we don't. And he says, why don't you? And the, and the, and the medicine man says, well, whenever we kill a, you know, a caribou, uh, you know, there's a little gland right above the kidneys. And we take that little gland and we divide it up into as many pieces as there are Indians and everybody gets a little piece and we never get scurvy. Hmm. And it turns out, and even Price didn't know this at that point in time, but it turns out that the adrenal gland is really, really high in vitamin C. Hmm. It's amazing to me how they knew that. You know how Well, they didn't know. They just knew if they ate it, they didn't get sick. I know. Isn't that... But they actually knew that it was correlated to a particular disease. Sure. But, yeah. So, I mean, you think about it. There's all these animals living up there. Everything's living up there. Everything needs vitamin C. You know, isn't that an amazing... You know, it's actually... Most of the minerals that you need are actually in an animal carcass if you process it and eat it correctly. You know, the cat doesn't just eat the meat. The cat eats the whole thing, right? Except the face. Except for the tail, our, maybe. No, our cat doesn't eat the face. If he kills a mouse or a rat, he leaves the face on the front door. Really? He doesn't leave the head. He leaves the face. He eats the ears. <laughs> and he almost cuts it at a perfect 45-degree angle. <laughs> so it's just like the bottom jaw back in front of the ears around the back of the head. And, you walk, and he places, I swear to God, this cat places them there posed. And you open the door, and it's either a rat or a mouse face <laughs> looking at you with a little pea sticking out. 
And then he'll come running up around like, look what I did. Am I not cool? Oh. And he eats the ears in the back of the head, but he leaves the, I don't know, this cat's weird. That is. This is also a cat that'll come like a dog when he's called. And when we take walks, he takes a walk with us like a dog. So he's not a normal cat. Now, most cats just start with the head and start munching down and yep. then go downward until the tail, and they often don't eat the tail. But the point is, is there's, there's a... They eat all the stuff. They eat all the stuff, and all the stuff has most of the, you know, it has the, the nutritional content in it. So, so uh, you know, the adrenal glands are high in vitamin C, but it, uh, that's, you know, you think about it, how, how did those people get their vitamin? You know, you're living up in the Arctic, what are you going to do, right? <laughs> Well, and you don't throw much away either, so yeah. you know, sooner or later people are going to eat it by accident. And it doesn't take the human being is actually smarter than we're given credit for. And when everybody does one thing and lives, and somebody everybody does another thing, gets sickened or dies, it doesn't take long for you know uh, an intelligent being to look at that and go, well, "What's the difference?" Well, they ate this little thing. Well, maybe we all needed that little thing. And when nobody gets sick anymore, they figure it out. What amazed me in some of the research I've done with indigenous peoples is that when a lot of modern medicine would get in and start talking to them, and they they would find out that some of these places had no word for the for the disease known as cancer. Yeah, they didn't know that that, that it existed mm-hmm. because it didn't for them. And they didn't know what the hell they were. And there was a lot of other diseases. They just like we don't. Maybe like if I came to you and said, "Well, how do you guys around here deal with uh, shupalephalism?" You'd be like. We don't really. And I, well, it's this thing where, like, you know, a, a giraffe appears out of the back of your neck, a small giraffe, and it eats your back. And you'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I think so. there's been some stuff. So that tells us that when we go back to eating everything and doing it um, with clean food, we're on the right track. Um, going down your list, though, um, there are certain things that I'm not going to eat unless I'm starving to death. Um, sinews and tendons uh, are right up there with that. It's pretty tough stuff, but it has uses, right? Well, that has uses. Well, first of all, you can throw those just into the bone broth, and they'll they'll generally dissolve into the bone broth and become a part of the broth and give it that nice gelatinous texture. But also, they you know if you've got a bigger animal, the the, the tendons, uh, you know, they're used as a binding uh, agent. You can you can use them to make um, you know I mean cat sinew is is violin strings, right? <laughs> so yep. so um, that's that's a little bit more of a difficult material to work with. As long as we have paracord and other things around, we're probably going to use that. But it's a good thing to keep in mind. That's how people used to attach, you know, handles to, uh, you know, axes or heads or different things for 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 hundreds of thousands of years. That's you know that they'd use the sinew and wrap it and tighten it and dry it out. And... Did I lose you? All right, I'm here. Okay, there you go. Anyway, you're saying wrap it and let it dry out. Yeah, and second. so they use it as as uh, you know something to help attach. But certainly, lots of hammers and axe heads and knives, knife blades being attached to shafts, that type of thing. Yeah, definitely spear points, arrowheads. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a it's a cordage when other cordages we can make either are not functionally useful or not strong enough. So I can make cordage out of yucca. It's very, very strong. But to get the strength I need, I can't make it fine enough to wrap uh, an arrow point with it without kind of interfering with the functionality of the arrow. And that's where these things come in and do their best work. Yeah. And at this point, really, we probably need the nutrition much more than cordage. So throw it in your, <laughs> throw it in your bone broth. Throw it in your bone broth. Now, you have something here that I have to say I've never eaten. 
Um, and other than maybe throwing the whole head to an animal or watching a James Bond movie where they ate it out of a sheep and it was actually a hard-boiled egg, that old movie from the 70s, Eyeballs. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I have, and uh, the eyeball itself is usually kind of tough. It's the juice. The juices inside of it have uh, some good nutrition in it. And my vision is not very good. And, you know, there's that ancient medicinal property, likes, like, you know, like, eat like, right? If you've got heart disease, eat the heart. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and I just found it mildly salty. It wasn't really unpleasant or anything other than my own, like, oh, my God, what am I doing kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, isn't it um, the, the natives up in Alaska, like, that's the treat, is the eyeball out of the seal or something like that? It's like I Yeah, you know. that Andrew Zimmerman eats a lot of eyeballs, too. They were eating tuna eyes in one thing, and like a tuna eye, you think of a fish eye as being pretty small. Tuna eye is, like, a pretty big thing, um, and I, that's one of those things. The listener can tell us how it tastes, as far as I'm concerned. There's apparently uh, uh, a lot of nutrition in the eye, though. Like that's there's there's a lot of nutrition in there, and I haven't got the specifics on it. But that's that's one of the areas that when a carcass is on the road, you'll see the eyes often get attacked first. Okay. So that is true. I've seen a lot of uh, you know once the vultures get there or whatever or other scavengers, the the eye does seem to go pretty quick. And I think fish eye soup is considered a delicacy in some places. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not there, but <laughs> <laughs> I've eaten them. I can't say, you know, I'm I'm raving about it, but you know, I was like, okay, I'm I'm definitely, you know, uh, Americans are only getting about the, the standard Americans only getting about half of the RDA, the recommended daily allowance. And the RDA is not the amount of nutrition you need to be healthy. It's only the amount of nutrition you need not to show symptoms of disease. Correct. So I would say the biggest problem in America right now is malnourishment. So everything we've been talking about here is how can you increase your nutrition? You know, what are the ways we can utilize these the, the carcasses that we have and how do you process it to really amp up your nutrition? And, you know, yeah, liver and eyeballs and stuff like that, we're not used to it. But um, for me, I'm figuring maybe I need to adapt. <laughs> Well, at least know that it's possible and know the best way to make it palatable. I mean, there you go. There you go. I don't know. I guess if I could catch fish and little fish like, you know, bluegills and stuff like that, and I could swallow them like a gel cap, I guess, if I just needed to do tricks. I'd have to be pretty hard up, I think, to do the eyeball thing. It just doesn't seem very um, palatable. Um, it just doesn't seem like something I'd want to eat. I say I'll try anything, but I, even I find my limits from time to time. And then um, you have uh, on your list here uh, the stomach lining for cooking. Yeah. Now, have you Ron Hood, Ron and Karen? They had a wonderful video out where they were taking, and I've seen that done in a lot of other primitive situations where they take the stomach lining and they 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 build the fire with the coals, and then they 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 use the stomach lining as basically as a pot. And as long as it has water in it, it's not going to to uh, you know burn, and you can use it as a vessel to cook in, in a very very primitive situation. Um, I've done it with fish, just to see if you could do it using fish organs and basically stuffing the inside of the stomach with fish organs, like uh, the kidney and liver or whatever's in there, um, and, and basically cook that like a sausage. Uh-huh. Didn't eat it, but it worked. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hopefully, we'll all still have pots for a long time. Yeah. But and and again, you it know, it did this, work. I mean, that was the thing. I was yeah. like, I wonder if this really works. And like, 
well, I filleted the fish, and I'm going to put that on a stick, and I I don't really need this other stuff, and let's just see if it works. And it, it does work. Mm-hmm. Right now, to be honest with you, I'm giving that to the dogs, but yeah. <laughs> it's a possibility. Yeah. And he said, of course, lucky rabbit's feet. Yeah, you know, you got those rabbit's feet. They're kind of like the chicken wings. You cut them off and, you know, rabbit's feet have got all the fur on it. It's almost even harder to deal with than the chicken wings, right? And, uh, you know, dry them out. Do you remember? I remember when I was a kid, you go down to Woolworth and you could buy a rabbit's foot on a chain. <laughs> People well, like a quarter or something. A quarter of lucky yeah. rabbit's feet, you know. They're probably made out of something synthetic now, but... <laughs> <laughs> Synthetic rabbit's foot. <laughs> well, there you go. You get one of those, go down to Vegas, we're going to be set. Well, I mean, the thing is that it actually is a it's a product. There's a lot of people that are doing the homesteading thing on kind of steroids, and they're doing different little crafts and products and things at farmer's markets and swap meets and stuff. And it's a waste product that if you threw it on a little, uh, a little key ring, uh, you probably get a couple bucks for it. Yeah. And I don't know any other way you're going to get $2 for a rabbit's foot than to put a keychain on it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know. I don't need any. <laughs> <laughs> I only need one because I got one lucky one, right? <laughs> well, hey, this has been fun. It's always fun when I have you on. Uh, you want to let people know about uh, about your site? I mean, most people that uh, are on the air here listening to us today um, are very familiar with you because you've been a sponsor of the show for a long time. But you've got a couple different websites and some stuff to tell us about, right? Well, we've got the Grow Your Own Groceries. And um, if you click on the banner that's on the Survival Podcast, uh, the page there where people download, um, there's a banner there. And you'll automatically get a 10% discount. And then for your members brigade, we've got a 25% discount on the video set. And both of those include free shipping also. So, you know, I, I really, you know, Jack, I love what you're doing. And I really want to support you and support the people that are in this community. And so we're doing the best we can with that and, you know, offering these discounts. Um, if you go to my website at growyourowngroceries.org, we also, you know, we're developing more products. Um, and we have one called Alternatives to Dentists. And it's all about how to, how to take care of your teeth with just stuff that you could either grow or find in your backyard, amazingly, how to prevent cavities, treat abscesses, and that sort of thing. Um, and I've written another ebook, and this, you'll also see all this stuff at the growyourowngroceries.org website called Seven Shortcuts to Finding the Perfect Survival Retreat. And it's an ebook for people who are looking for land and looking uh, how to you know, find a community that's going to work for them. The foundation is the Grow Your Own Groceries video set, and that's two DVDs and a library of books on a CD-ROM. Really, growing food, to me, is the, the foundation and the cornerstone of everything that has to do with self-reliance. You know, you want to eat three times a day. I actually like to do it, you know, like six or seven. Sure. <laughs> you know? So food to me is the basis. And it's also the basis of all your medicine and everything else. Uh, you know, we do need to learn defense and stuff. But anyway, the Grow Your Own Groceries video set is the main thing that I have. And really, really, really have uh, appreciated the podcast and the whole membership. And whenever I go anywhere, there's people that know Jack and we have a lot of fun. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's really, really a really good group of, of people. Yeah, I'd love to get you back up here at my place again. You were here one night after the uh, expo with a bunch of other people. I think you were here for a couple hours. You made about 400 pounds of guacamole and then you left. 
No, I ended up I'd like, I'd like to get you back up here to hang out with us uh, sometime, so uh, you're always welcome at the uh, Spirico Homestead. We, we finished off a pretty good part of a bottle of wine. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was cool. I had a celebrity uh, night here. I had you here, I had Harris here, and I had uh, Brad Thor uh, at the place all at one time. I think it was uh, like an ultra cool vibe coming off of our place that night. Uh, so I appreciated having you here, and you're all like I said, you're always welcome. Well, thanks, Jack, and likewise here at our farm. Anytime you're down this way, we'd love to have you. And of course, you're always welcome back on the air. And thanks for being with us again uh, today. All righty, well, we'll talk to you the next time. All right, folks. And with that, this has been Jack Spearco today, along with Marjorie Wildcraft, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if. We forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.